Welcome to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective. Presented to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. I shook as sudden thunder boomed across the mall. The flashing lightning outside lit the monuments, and I wondered again who really wielded the power in Washington, D.C. The beast inside was squirming already, so I lay back on the soft couch, looked over at the impeccably dressed blonde, and smiled. She smiled back, showing just a hint of her fangs. A faint predatory gleam flickered in her eyes. Don't be so worried, she said softly. The prince will see you in a moment. Of course, I replied. Just for that moment, I wished that Vienna hadn't sent me here. I realized that Washington was important, perhaps crucial in our plans, and I was sure that the Pontifex held enough power to deal with any so-called prince, but I couldn't shake this sensation of dread. The storm outside wasn't natural. A warning from the Pontifex to remind this prince of his place? For some reason, I didn't think so. And I was looking at Gloria Diamond, my fellow Chantry member, and looking at Gloria Diamond, my fellow Chantry member, heightened my suspicions. She seemed more entrenched with this prince than the clan. I was liking this less and less. Any trouble getting from the airport, she asked, as she raised a goblet filled with crimson blood to her ruby lips. I watched her sip. I felt my hand clench into a fist, a fact which hadn't escaped her attention. Yes, I replied, meeting her pale blue eyes and feeling like a neonate. Good. You should have. DC doesn't appreciate real visitors, only tourists. A burst of lightning cascaded across the sky outside, followed by an explosion of thunder. The light inside flickered. I looked at Gloria. The Pontifex is doing? I asked. She mouthed no and quickly looked down. I felt his presence behind me. I turned and stood. For a moment, our eyes met. His dark gaze burned coldly, and in its depths, ragged passions far more frightening than the violent storm. Before I knew what had happened, I'd fallen to my knees and was sweating blood. The Prince of Washington, D.C., Marcus Vettel, stood before me, dressed in an exquisite tailored suit. He towered above, tall, impressive, everything you'd expect from a vampire prince. The image of true ventru power. But something was wrong. Not a flaw in his appearance, or the power of his presence. It was something else. The beast began to struggle within me tugging at the corners of my mind. I could almost hear it, whispering to me, Run! Get away! I spoke quickly. Prince Marcus Vettel of Washington, D.C. I am Michael Phelps, Clan Tremere. My sire was Alexander Chrisholm of London. I present myself to you and request your permission to reside in your city. Silence followed, broken at long last by the crash of lightning. Why have you come to my city? His voice was deep and strong, resounding with authority. I was sent by my clan elders to attend the pontifex. Another silence. I was still kneeling and unable to rise. The wolf padded up behind me. Michael Phelps, you did not answer my question. Why have you come to my city? Why did your elders send you? It was an honor, Prince Vettel. They believe I have potential. They believe that serving the Pontifex will train me to become a leader in our clan. The prince took a few measured steps over to the window. With extreme effort, I tore my eyes from the floor. He stood in front of the window, with the Washington Monument visible behind him. A shadow fell across his face, and his eyes fixed on mine. I felt my blood freeze. His eyes flashed faintly as the lightning flickered outside. Understand this, Michael Phelps of Clan Tremere. I am Prince of Washington, D.C. Unlike many princes, I do not tolerate threats, veiled or otherwise, to my rule. The masquerade is too fragile here. The actions of one foolish neonate or elder in my city could make all kindred suffer. If you have any needs or difficulties, you come to me. Obey the traditions and cause me no trouble and you will reap the benefits of power that only Washington, D.C. can offer. He gazed deeply into my eyes. I heard myself whisper, Yes, my prince. Another explosion of thunder sounded. You have my permission to remain, Michael Phelps. You may go to your pontifex. Before I was even aware of my actions, I was on my feet and outside the door, Gloria's pale arm entwined around my own. I looked at her. She gave me that predatory smile. You're lucky. He liked you. Welcome once again, folks, to another edition of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. I am Nathan. And I am Bob. And today we are here to discuss DC by Night, and also the pounding on our wall just to the right. Uh, anyways, the story that you heard at the beginning is the story from the book, and we thought it was entertaining enough and striking enough to, hey, let's just read it for our listeners and... Only the sweet chords of Nathan's voice could do justice to that story, so we thought throw it in for you. <laughs> so it's a very short introductory story, and it goes right into how to use this book. And it gives you, right off the bat, the threats, the themes, the mood, 
pretty standard stuff for a city book. The Damned. This is interesting. The theme of the this story, though, is like... They don't use the term... It, it's paranoia, but it's not paranoia. There's another word for it that they actually use. I say... Uh, the mood, they say, is high anxiety. That's what it is. High anxiety. Um, paranoia is part of that. Yeah, right? right. And it's because everyone is watching you, watching everyone else. Every single step you make. And DC is unique because it's not... Like, in the intro, they let you know... It's one of those places where, yes, absolutely, any mistake you make is seen nationwide, right? worldwide even. It'll be heard about because D.C. is the hallmark of power for the United States. Right. All interests coincide there. They all converge. And they have several attributes of strengths for Washington, D.C. that they let you know out the gate. That's one of them. It's like it's, uh, it's point and also weakness. Right. All eyes on you. Right. And all the influence of the country essentially converges here, like we were saying, but that in and of itself is a double-edged sword because this is the place where you could have the most power, but it's also the place where you could have the biggest fuck up. You know, you could have the most problems with vampiric culture. And it tells you also point blank that if you're a player and you play in this game under no circumstance, it's, it's one of their, 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 the rules that if you come here and you decide it's time to buck, or I'm going to just ruin this feeding, or I'm going to mess up this feeding and clean it up sloppily, everybody comes down on you. Yeah. It's not a matter of, like, you know, one person, another person. Someone will clean it up. That someone's making a phone call that they had to clean it up, and they're coming for you, Jack. Oh, yeah. There's no slap in the wrist. There's no, why am I getting day rated? It's you knew. Right. You knew what would happen, and we have to. Right. Because who resides in the city of D.C. other than vampires? Because I'd like, let's get them out the way. Well, this book is about that. I mean, we have, you know, all aspects of the federal government. We have, the, I don't know, the hunter <laughs> groups, which is where I was going with this. The special affairs division of the FBI is stationed here. There is a large contingent, like a home base of operations for the Inquisition. Um, there's Arcanum here, although you're... Probably won't have to worry as much about them, but nonetheless. But the NSA is right, there. The NSA, the FBI, the CIA, all of those. It's basically ripe for you to fuck up once and cause a big problem. Right. And they even, even slam in there just for just for knowing there are mages in the city. They are technomancers. Mm-hmm. And they are looking into the plague of the undead. Right. Like directly how to deal with them. No bones about it. But everyone has this problem. No one can seem to find the undead. That's attributed because of the who watches the watchers high anxiety theme that's going on. So why would we want to play in a DC Chronicle? What would be the draw then? Well, absolutely what should be through your head, high politics. Right. This is absolutely where the Camarilla politics earns its stroke. Right. It is not underdone here. It is overdone and it needs to be overdone uh, because DC is what? politics right. it's that simple it's it's the hallmark this is where world shaking decisions happen over power lunches right now we have as a focal point of this this chronicle of the city we have the incredibly powerful and old prince marcus vatel of clan ventru i'm emphasizing that for all of you listeners of clan ventru and we also have the pontifex of the Tremere clan who resides here as well. Peter Dorfman. Who in his own right is probably, if if it wasn't for Vettel, but in his own right, Dorfman would be uh, without peer. He is powerful enough to be any, any prince of any city. And why? I mean, Dorfman, why is a pontifex, a pontifex normally, well, how about this? What is a pontifex in clan Tremere? It is an individual that is in charge of an entire region of a country or region of a continent. For every inner circle rep that they have, or inner council rep for the Tremere, there are seven Pontifexes that serve them. He's one of them. He's a right. direct servant to them. The opening story talks about a guy named Michael. Michael Phelps is coming in. He's an aspiring regent. And by aspiring, he's a low circle regent who's coming here to learn how to lead from the very guy who's done what? Why is Dorfman so important? Well, in D.C., every single political pie 
has his he has his finger in. It doesn't matter what organization. If there is a person who proves useful, they get gold, or they get dominated to just understand Dorfman and his phone calls and his system. He has this clockwork of political power and insurgent of hidden people throughout mm-hmm. DC that it's allowed him to maintain this power. But it's important to note, as powerful as that is, Vitell comes out of nowhere. Right. From decade decades, not centuries. No. Decades prior. Yeah. He comes in with his daughters, his his embraced children, and they sweep right into power. Right. They they talk about in the history, um it's a short history comparative to other cities for obvious reasons. Washington DC hasn't existed that long, much like the United States in the grand scheme of vampiric politics. And uh, it's their, a history of war. Right, absolutely. Um, it, it was a focal point of the uh, the Civil War, and um, that's what really grew it from a small little swamp with a White House. <laughs> <laughs> I, li- I like its description of Inception, just because it's a vampire, and we'll, we'll describe that. And imagine a place where the Nosferatu were smiling and happy. Right. <laughs> because they had... It cracked me up because during the Civil War, you know, even before we actually, actually before we even hit the Civil War, right. the Nas were already there. They're kicking rocks, hiding where nobody's looking, swampy area, doing their thing. Nobody really cared. You had a smattering of Malks somewhere, and I just throw that in there because they mention it that way. Right. And at this point, nobody really cared about it. You had well, here, here's who cared: the Torador had this artist come in. Right. And I forget the artist's name, but I he's... I believe his name is uh, L'Enfant. Yeah, L'Enfant. Yeah, I'm sorry. It says L'Enfant. That's, so, that's us being Americans and not knowing how to pronounce things well. America, hold my beer, bro. We got this. So, <laughs> so anyway, they uh, he's coming into D.C. and he's seeing all the land that D.C. is, and he comes up with this grand plan. Mm-hmm. A plan so frightening that architects everywhere... Are like no. Yeah, this is ridiculous. We're this not is, doing this. We can't even conceive. You, the people building it can't conceive how to build what you were talking about. Right. You're nuts. And really, he wasn't nuts. The Torter went. We have a chance to build a lasting legacy. Right. We're gonna do it in D.C. And Aventure said no. Yeah. So they talk about these Torter that are overseas in France and wherever, and they're like. Okay, we have an opportunity now. It's a it's a clean slate. Let's make let's make greatness. Send in the artist, and yeah, it it breaks down into arguments and infighting, and everybody's like, "No, this is stupid. We can't do this. You're fired." How, how the venture ultimately said no. They they chalked up or the railways were coming in. They shut them down. Didn't let supplies get where they needed to be. You know, stalled everything out. Arguments, kibitzing, and just it was done. <laughs> right. So um, after that. Uh, DC basically it becomes a ghost town. Um, there's like about five thousand people living there, but you know stuff's just not working itself out right. And this Bruja rises up and says, "I am the Lord of the Capital," <laughs> and everybody's like, "Whatever, <laughs> great, exactly, great." The most dismissive commentary I've ever read regarding, like as a clans, right? Mm-hmm. As the Torter and Venture heard it, it's like they were heat hotly contesting the area about what it's going to be. And the Bruja goes, this is mine. It was the equivalent of your son, age eight, throwing on a cape, or age five, throwing on a cape, looking cute, jumping up in his underoos mm-hmm. and, and telling the adults that he rules the house. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah, of course you do. Great, great. Okay. So what's going on is you have all these elders that are uh, in the United States or uh, that are, I'm sorry, they're in the colonies or they're overseas in Europe exerting their influence. And they go, this 13 colonies thing isn't going to last so who cares we'll spend our time fighting over the state capitals we'll get what we need blah 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 number 13's curse the Tremere told me right so. right um and uh yeah except for the ventru <laughs> right. the ventru of course like all things considered washington dc to be part of their domain it is ours because we said so and why do they have that mentality well for those of you who don't know so did Virginia. There were sta- there were mortals who had that mentality. There were plantation owners and southern landholders, not plantation owners only. I'm sorry. I don't mean to make that mm-hmm. a direct cry, but that's relevant later. The fact is, there were land plots carved up, and D.C. was part of that, and the mortals were saying what they have and what they don't have. And at this point, D.C. is kind of this place that sits in a, in a rare, almost unclaimed type place. 
And unclaimed meaning we're not doing nothing with the the people who have the land are not actively doing anything with it. So these venture are deciding what to do with it. Saying it's within our influence, we now move for it. Right. <laughs> and then all hell breaks loose. All hell. There's a war. There's Ventru ghouls dying. There's just tragedy striking everywhere. And basically, DC, as we know historically, is left essentially a smoldering husk. And the Bruja prince, quote unquote prince, eh, whatever, I'm still prince. Like, nobody gives a shit, but hey, you know, I'm Lord of the Flies, essentially. Um, and then... Uh, I believe after that, something very important happened. What was it that happened after that? We're referring to the assassination? Uh, yes, that's what I'm referring to. <laughs> so this is interesting. Very interesting because we find another point where an Asimite, it literally just says, eventually hires an Asimite and the <laughs> prince is killed. Right. <laughs> He's just wrote out in a sentence. Yep. Dude didn't do much. Your son had a cape, but damned if we didn't want to get him out the way. Yeah. Well, you know, we're, we just... We got to stand on principle here and say Bruja princes are not a thing we can allow. Um, yeah, just do me a favor. Kill him. Oh, he's dead. <laughs> he's Great. gone. Right. Bye bye. Right. So then the Civil War comes. Right. So we get up to the point where we have this new world. It's officially a country. We have presidents and, you know, couple couple decades pass. And now everything breaks out into Civil War. And people are freaking out. You got to understand because basically... DC at this point's like, hey, chop up those railroads. We got to pull up shop. We gotta, we're we're, we're right. north. We're we're this. We got to we got to oppose the South. Virginia puts up the Confederate flag, right? And they're like, oh shit. So, yeah, we exist in an area that probably wasn't best for declaring war on the other half of the country, and we don't have a choice. Right. We now we have to defend this because the South is coming. Right. This is our capital, and perhaps there was a little bit of um, lack of foresight on our part. Uh, so yeah, the civil war happens and Washington DC essentially becomes like a, uh, like a giant morgue. It just disease and dead soldiers and dying soldiers. The very telling point for me reading it was it talked about the fact that there was so much dead in the river flowing out that the buzzing of the flies and, and the, the miasma of that situation that people just... Like, depression could kill you. Just as good as walking out and seeing it. But then the Nosferatu gave zero fucks about the masquerade. Yep. They just put on Union outfits or Confederate outfits, depending on who was near what. And they just walked up and down the river at night, grabbing who's alive. Right. You know, having a food, having a little yeah, feed fest. Yeah, Washington, D.C. became a buffet for them. And it was, dis it was disgusting to read because right. it was like, oh, man, it's horrific. Right. And uh, on top of it, out of nowhere, the Malkavians start building asylums. Like, immediately. This I couldn't even imagine. It's just like, out of nowhere, they're there. But if you think about it, here we have this this hospice dedicated to soldiers of the war who aren't... A cannonball broke his mind or something happened. Or right. He's now missing his legs but somehow still alive and he can't reconcile that religion. Right. Well, we don't just kill this guy. We got to put him somewhere. So they start making these asylums where they're supposed to recover. Right. Reconstitute, recover, and leave. Yeah. And back in that, in those times, that's what asylums were for. They weren't just places where the insane went. They were literally like places for recovery. You, you've, you're feeling down. You've had some health problems. Well, let's send you to the asylum and we'll see if we can't get you back up in order. Time for a high clonic and a cucumber sandwich and we'll see you on. Absolutely. Remember, an erection is a flagpole in your grave. Yeah. See? Uh, so they give you, they give you a statistic and they say that before the war, Washington DC had one hospital by its end, 36 hospitals held 50,000 patients. It's an incredible number. Right. So remember we jumped ahead a little bit, but at this time we're still dealing with this Bruja Prince, whatever, and his ineptitude. And then an Asimite assassinated Arthur Carroll midway through the war, shocking the kindred of Washington DC. Uh, and uh, spread that James Harrison, an elder venture living in Wishing, uh, Richmond, had hired the assassin in order to ensure that Washington fell to the Confederates and there would be little resistance to the new, new prince. Um, yeah, but uh, in a stunning state of affairs, uh, like a volleyball game, the Tremere were like, oh yeah, spike that bitch over the net. And we got we to gotta help this out, though. It wasn't like the Tremere clan made a decision. No, 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 no. it was a Tremere. Yeah, she... Marissa. Yes. She yeah. she jumps up. Like, she was embraced in 1812. Right. 
and she just leaps up and goes, I'm the prince now. Right. And the Tremere quickly go, she's the Pontifex. <laughs> she, she's the Pontifex? She's, right, right. She always has been. And, and they're, they're cloistered in their little rooms. They're going, do we have anybody else anywhere near Washington, D.C. that... Particularly anyone with a dick. <laughs> right. We need yes. a guy. We, we need to emphasize that here, that the Tremere, not only were they upset because there was essentially an Ancilla, perhaps that was jumping up to take the reins of Washington, D.C., but most importantly, it was a female, and she was incapable without proper male genitalia to rule. <laughs> right, no one could do this. Right. And and the Shmir just said, yep, yeah, here you go, political support. Yeah, yeah, so here, we support you um, vocally, um, but we're going we're gonna to work on some stuff behind the scenes here. We're going to try to, uh, you know, get rid of you. Cause... Do what you can. Right. Your replacement's coming. So Marissa says, all right, I'm going to work with the public. I'm going to work with the Nasratu. So, so you, how how does she get to stay there, though? Because the war made it to where nobody could safely get to her. Right. They couldn't send anybody to safely come and take her position, and she knew it. And the Venture couldn't send nobody for the same reason. Right. You know, it's great that a guy from Richmond sent an asimite to assassinate someone, but... How many of those do you think you get? Yeah, and he can't back it up. How do right. I get there safely? Right. He's an asimite. I'm a Venture. I got to come there with... My people, my retainers, my southern ways and sensibilities. How am I going to get across the border? People will notice me. So she plays to the populace. And she she gives she gives privileges. The Nosferatu are free to just enjoy the live-along day of right. death and carnage and, and disease and dying. They're the most populous. Hey, guys. Thumbs up. Right. So she's got herself... A cadre of Nosferatu and Malkavian backers. She also plays to the the the, the freed slaves, the Bruja clan. She's pouring honey in people's ears. We gotta make this what it is. I mean, this woman is conniving right. as it gets. She's writing letters and sending servants out via Nas and Malkavian to put the she tells the Torador adventure. She says, Hey, we have a plague. We have a problem. Oh, wait, first, I'm sorry. Let's state why she has the ammo. Out of nowhere, the Bruja came in support of the uh, of civil rights, basically. Right. That, you know, we're black people are going to be freed and we're black people. We're going to come here. Right. And, and that's that. And she's like, yeah, come here. Yeah, you're cool. Thanks for being here. Thanks for your support. Then she writes the letter and tells the the landholders down south, Virginians, and, and anywhere else down south right. that will take the letter. And, and the Tordor clan that's there, too, and says, hey. It's terrible. We we have blacks here. Right. We have we have right. blacks here, and 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 they have no one to tell them what to do. And and look what they're doing. They're getting industrious, and they're doing. We can't have that. And I'm a prince here. I'm gonna need your support. You're gonna have to help me. And the venture turned and looked at the tortor, and the tortor were like, "Wait a minute. That's where my servants went. <laughs> what is going on it's right very now?" Very much the case. Yes. And then the venture and tortor were like, "Can we pause killing each other for a second? Don't we have to deal with that?" Do they pause, Nate? No, they don't pause. Nope. No, in fact, they, they very unpause. Right. So by this time, the Tremere clan is seeing, uh, well, she's doing well. She's garnering support. In fact, she's proving to be quite a capable leader. There's just one problem. She doesn't have a penis. Right. So I'm thinking what we do is we send a man there and uh, he'll get rid of her. Oh, we forgot a point. About the mortal half, Stonewall Jackson and Robert mm -hmm. e. Lee, their their war as they as they come through here, they destroy the support that would have been sent right for Marissa. They literally are burning down homes down south, fighting where they're at because it's scorched earth. Right. Good old Stonewall believes that if we can't have it, no one shall, and brings that to a reality. And it's a terrible right. war if you guys look at the Civil War, but it happened. Right. And the fact is, no vampire could prepare for that. No. Like that's mortals on a level of wow. That yeah. This the Civil War, like like any war, uh, is is terrible. But this one was especially terrible. Uh, just the the absolute wanton carnage was on your own. Right. Right. Absolutely. It's 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 a civil war, but man, it, it's not very civil. <laughs> and to them, shock. Right. I mean, right. you got to play with the ball you're given. And then I apologize, Nate. No, no, that's okay. So uh, the Tremere clan, they they send a suitable replacement. They don't even give him 
he he's <laughs> poor fella. He never even makes it. He didn't even have a hope. You know they don't know what uh, what the they don't know what happened to him. But the 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 rumor among the Nosferatu clan is he was fed to angry, hungry rats, and that's why he never showed up. So basically, at that point, she solidifies her power base. She solidifies her influence, and I mean she's a bad motor scooter. Like no choice. Right. There's there's no two ways about it. She continues to solidify her influence and it gets to the point where she starts to attract the attention of like the, the camera elders, the, the motherfuckers in charge. And you know, she's we're, we're getting into the 20th century. Now she's poised to be the most powerful prince in the Camarilla. And, and, and rightly so, right. The president of the United States sits in the city. She governs. She has people in Virginia, which is a gigantic political supporter on, on its own right of not just financial means, but also of known wealth. If American aristocrats are a thing, Virginia set that standard. Right. And we're talking wasps, folks. Look up the term if you don't know it, but it's, it's the rich near-do-wells. That's, that's them. Um, the whole aspect is she's supported from on high. You have Baltimore. That's not far at all. And uh, you know, Richmond, Virginia, all that stuff. Right. That all still goes to her because right. D.C. is still the hub, the place to be for it. Yeah, I mean, think about it. You know, logically, it makes perfect sense. By the time the 1960s uh, come about, there are plots to end her reign as prince. And then enters Marcus Vittel. Are they related? Well, we don't know. We'll let you read and decipher for yourself. However, what can be told is that with the entrance of Marcus Vittel, the two of these individuals essentially f fall in love, is what it looks like to the outward observer. Now, understand how cold this is. The camera will know Marcus Vittel is there. Right. Powerful Ventures there. He's coming in, but they know this as well. It's the same problem why Peter Dorfman, still existing, right, doesn't just get the position. Right. Even when he's with Marcus, it's because you cannot take too much power. DC is a place that's based on one one ideal, power. It's learned how to control here. It's learned how to have it. Too much will kill you. Too little will see you fall beneath somebody else. The right amount. And that delicate balance has to be maintained. Now, why it's important is because it highlights in there in intimate detail that if you're the type of vampire to go in there um, and you want to be somebody in DC, you have to have influence. It doesn't matter what your personal power and age is. Just have influence. Otherwise, you're nobody. Right. However, you can only have so much. And if you take too much, the whole world notices. We said that in the beginning. And this is where the camera pays attention. Because we don't want somebody to have control of nukes. We don't want somebody to have control <laughs> right. of entire hunter organizations. Right, exactly. We don't want policy of state or of a nation dictated by a one vampire. No, your, your power should never usurp the collective power of the Camarilla. And Marcus Vittel uh, willingly acts as their agent. And the two individuals fall in love and things start to crumble around Marissa. There are, there's the death of Martin Luther King Jr. There are riots as Bruja Nosferatu begin to rise up, um, wanting justice, racial equality. And riots start in Washington, D.C. And Vittel leads Marissa right to Camarilla Archons who dispatch her and do away with her. Just end it. Cold-blooded. Just hey, I spent eight years manipulating you. How about you die now? Is basically what happened. And immediately, Marcus Vittel establishes himself as prince. So, I guess you could say uh, the rightful owners of DC now have their their uh, <laughs> right. their domain, right? Um, and Marcus Vittel rules in a harsh way. Um, he does not broker bullshit. That is, uh, I guess, putting it lightly. It's not a place where lessons are taught in the sense that, oh, you messed up. Let me slap your wrist and, you know, we'll move you along. No, I'm teaching a lesson to everyone around you. You messed up, you die. End of story. Swift, brutal justice. He deals in examples. Right. And you'd think, well, you know, the Tremere and their power base and, you know, the, the Chantry and, all, you know, and that story at the beginning should show you as the Tremere... One of the harpies, uh, she, you know, hey, Tremere clan, they're great, but uh, also, um, no, you should probably watch out for this guy. 
<laughs> they, they outline in there that there's a big joke uh, socially relating to Marcus Vittel and Peter Dorfman. And that joke is this, that Peter Dorfman is a pontifex representing the might of, of the Tremere clan. And Marcus Vittel better step lightly or they're going to crush him. They're going to kill him. And then the Tortor like to say, that's what the Tremere wants you to believe. And that's what Marcus Vittel wants you to believe, because really, he just needs to have something that could visibly, potentially, <laughs> right. hold power against him <laughs> right. to humor everyone else and make them not as afraid of Marcus Vittel. Exactly. Now, we get into, from the history, we get into all of the different locations, which, you know, you'll have. Oh, yeah, there was one other thing that I wanted to touch on. And I think that what they did here, it's just a brief sentence, and I think it's important, and it's important for all books that are written for this game. Um, Let me see if I can find it here, right here. It says, if you are looking for an accurate portrayal of DC, go purchase a travel guide. If you want to see how Kindred could exist in the most important city in the world of darkness, you've come to the right place. Because what's the number one mistake of any game ever ran by a storyteller? And that is to decide I'm going to take a real map of a city and turn this into something else. Because the moment you do that, it's very e- players of all shape and sizes play a game. Right. And people get into something, they dig deep. And as you're worried about story and plot and history and background and acting and portraying the politics vampirically and how the mortals respond and worrying about all that, plus the feeding and everything else and character portrayals right. of your players, that one player is sitting there looking up the actual P.O. box that was used right? because it's on the interweb. Right, absolutely. And I, I think that having easy access to the internet, not to derail this too far, but having easy access to the internet is both a curse and a boon for this type of gaming. It's a boon because as a storyteller or a player, you can find a lot of cool things that will you know, enhance your character and enhance your story, and you can provide you know, a lot of rich art to show to your players, etc. But what happens a lot of times is that players get mired in unnecessary detail to me it's a lot like instead of going to the theater and watching a movie your player is trying to go to the set and and watch the movie be filmed and point out all the things that are like oh that doesn't make any sense or oh that doesn't belong there and they're 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 missing the front the movie itself that's a great analogy and i'm gonna back that up but i'm also gonna add that's like the, the way everything is now. Anything right. entertainment now is, has to be picked apart. I.e., hi, we run a podcast. Right. But <laughs> but when you do this type of entertainment, we're doing this review for the point of that sentence. We're saying it because in the usage of this book, to bring it back right. full circle, the places they mention, the monuments that are there, uh, the things that you know to exist, you got to let it go. And go empty your cup and fill it up with what they're telling you is in this book right. as you read it to get the enjoyment out of it, to see what they're talking about. Because the challenge of what happens historically and what happened in the real world isn't a challenge. It's already been written. It's already there. The real challenge is, how do I change it to add an overlay of mythical creatures like vampires to make it to what it would be like if they were here now? Right. And in order for me to do that, I'm going to have to make some fundamental changes. But in order for this to work, suspension of disbelief, right? Right. We, we need you to relax... Right. And enjoy. And that's what that sentence says. And that's why me and Nate define it because it's, I agree. I think it's very important. So then we move on. um, We'll move through geography because, again, you can read through that. It's geography. I've never been to Washington, D.C. Seems legit. Um, Then we get into our characters. And there are some spoilers in here. Um, And I I don't know that I want to spoil them for you. I think that a lot of you players and storytellers specifically, if you're familiar with the game, you may already know what they are. There is no mystery here for you. Well, you know what? No, that no way. Because they're gonna they're gonna internet look it up. Mm-hmm. Everyone listening is gonna look this up in the internet. I already know you are, <laughs> and that's how you found out in the first place. Right. <laughs> but so because I want to talk about a very cool thing related to the prince, but we can. I know you do too. Right. I'll let you do the big the so, big thing. So can we just do going forward? There are spoilers ahead. Yep. If you do not want to know about the things that are contained within this book, pause or fast forward or don't listen further. Anyways, we get to the characters. The characters in here, there is a high concentration of powerful ass characters in this book. And? Uh, Some absurdly powerful characters in this book. And this is where we get to learn 
Well, let's skip ahead through the Bruja and the Nosferatu and the Malkavian, and let's go to Ventrue so we can look up Mr. Vettel, Prince Vettel's stats. <laughs> and holy shit, he's not in that section. Not at all. No. And why is that? Well, because he's a fucking Lasombra. Boom, boom, boom. He's an old-ass Lasombra. And he's an old-ass Lasombra with ridiculous power. Just ridiculous. He is a fifth-generation Methuselah from, I don't know, prehistory? Whatever. Uh, th- this is my critique. Uh, he has a specific unique power that is a level six obfuscate power. Now, you're probably going, how does he have a level six obfuscate power? I don't know. Why not? Why not? Let's just give it to him. Um, and anyways, that power allows him to to hide his lineage. It is it is a weird MacGuffin. <laughs> Why I like it, and I'm going to add this to it, is because if you look at a lot of the obfuscate powers that are there, um, it, especially higher up, it talks about it's kind of a curse. Right. The, the wrongness of being hidden all the time is that eventually the world adapts to you not existing. And some of those powers are frightening. And at level six, I actually dig it. I think it's cool because it shows an adaptation to, to him. Right. It's what he willed. It's what his beast needed to adapt for what he had. And that's not me putting icing on a cake. When you ask why, that's why. Yeah, yeah. He needed it to survive. So here's another question that I have for you folks. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to levy this question and feel free to send us your responses because I want to know from everyone's perspective what this means. Okay. Um, give me one second. Let me find the line here. Uh, okay. Yes. We're talking about his discipline spread, right? He's, he's a bad motor scooter. Now here's the question. Also, despite his proficiency with thaumaturgy, Marcus has no knowledge of blood magic. I don't understand what that means. Bob has given somewhat of an explanation, but I want to hear you, the player or you, the listener, rather. I want you to tell me what that means, because I don't get it. He has thaumaturgy, and a lot of it, but has no knowledge of blood magic. I don't, I don't understand. So please send me messages just willy nilly and let me know. So, anyways, we find out that now, Bob. Let me ask you a question. Feel free. Is Marcus Vitell or? What was what, what his real name? Uh, Lucius Aluius Sanginus, which I'm sure I butchered that. He's a prince, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, is he a member of the Camarilla? Yeah, actually. Is, is he a member of the Sabbat? No. But, like, he has, like, Sabbat packs that, like, work for him, right? So let's, let's, let's iron this out. Right. If you're a Methuselah... <laughs> that should be your only answer what by the, the way what the fuck do you care about <laughs> right, what right. silly group of people want to call them some some type of change right i don't care i make millions you're, you're arguing at me about some what 10 20 cent type of nah right we don't worry about it because what that guy is saying in this book what it's saying is he needed warriors and he wanted warriors and he turned over and went there they are they call themselves sabbat the sword of cain right. well you're my sword and he has them. So yeah, there's there he he has sabat packs that he has do his dirty work. Uh, he he runs the city with an iron uh, an iron grip. They get treated no different than anyone else in right. the city. Now he doesn't really mix business and pleasure, so it's not like the sabat packs are coming to Elysium. Of course, he plays to the tone of the trumpet that is being played. But what is his true motivation? Would you like me to answer this, or would you like would you like to answer this? You you can we we could double team that, but let me <laughs> highlight one point. Politically yes. speaking, you're thinking there's an entire sect that kills antediluvians, and I know everybody's thinking that. So why doesn't the Sabbat just marshal and kill Marcus Vidal? He's the prince of the city. Well, because he's also the prince of the city, <laughs> and they're sitting there going, "Well, he could just declare that DC is now this, that, and the other thing, but right. there's some complications with it. Biggest one." Baltimore right now is warring with New York. That that's literally New York is being contested by the Sabatina Camera on such a level right. that Francisco Domingo de Polonia will get skyrocketed from Archbishop to Cardinal right. when that when that story is done. Right. Because it is violent to the extreme. Yeah. New York at this point is the Sabat stronghold. This is right. before, you know, we start to see that change towards the end of the line. Um, which if you're new to this game or you're following along with us. You'll find out about that 
in the future. Right now, New York City, Manhattan, all that, that's Sabat. That is a Sabat stronghold. And Baltimore is like a war-torn border town where you have the Camarilla and the Sabat sort of fighting for influence. And they have a Malkavian prince there because there's no book for him. But I'll tell you now, they do bring uh, Baltimore into the novels. And it's also we hear more about Fatel, which we will get to in this podcast. But the point is, is that Baltimore has a Malkavian prince that still thinks the Civil War is on. (laughs) He still thinks it's on. And the South shall rise again. He will not be defeated. And the Sabat don't know how to handle that. Because we're talking the way the book writes it, the Sabbat descend into the streets, and this guy turns around and orders his primogen to mass embrace people, and you send them some bitches right back at him. And the Sabbat are going, well, who are our shovel heads? And who are... Who are we? And, then, and then literally the psychopaths that are there are just like, fucking kill everybody. We're the Sabbat. If they don't know the symbol, do them in. Right. Where's Elysium? It's here. And that prince can fight like a mad dog. Now I want to add that, right? And 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 we're we're off a little bit. Um, but it's cool. But right. why it's cool is because that chaos is the picture we have to we have to make. Right. Because Vettel knows about it. Who do you think put them there? Right. The thing that needs to be established is that White Wolf created a monolith in the capital of of the United States. Marcus Vettel is the measure by which all other princes, uh, or he's the he's the line by which all the princes are measured. He is the he's probably one of the most influential vampires in the country, and probably up there world scale. Well, in the country, nobody beats Mithras. Nobody, nobody beats Mithras. Mithras dominated the world for centuries. Right, the known world in Europe, and we'll get to that in the Dark Ages as to why Marcus right. Vettel is awesome. In the States, but I believe Mithras would say, you had a good go for four centuries. Good job. Right. Well, you know, London or England did basically control the known world. Right. So. And we know that. So, <laughs> right. But not to decry it, but right. the fact is, is that when you think about DC's there, why isn't DC taking over? Or why doesn't the Sabbat open wage war there? It's because, remember influence, folks. Influence is just that. It is not just the Camarilla that knows how to influence world global political situations and bureaucracy the sabat do too and they do and every vampire knows i'm not starting another inquisition right we're just gonna play this real low slow and steady but what we will do is war all around it right we'll fight over everything else to get closer to the mark now to give you a little bit of insight into the character of marcus Vettel and uh, we are basically we're going to spend you know a little bit more time on this character because it's the most pivotal character in the book. Um, yeah, so his goal is uh, on a long term, he wants to start a nuclear war. Um, he wants to kill uh, Baba Yaga and um, the ancients that live in Europe because well you know the the Berlin Wall fell and the USSR <laughs> has has crumbled so they don't have a chance of fighting back so um then i will arise as the new god like does literally does he refer to himself as the new cain l- literally literally he does i hate to use that word so many times but i can indulge our listeners I was positive he calls himself the new cain with yes in the I, ashes of the world yes it's very like end of times reign supreme but but isn't he right so um vitell's answer is to take take the jihad to the new to a new level he believes that in the post cold war era the available technology is such that he has the capability to destroy the antediluvians and the elders of europe the prince wants to start a nuclear war as the soviet union union has collapsed Vettel is certain of the unlikelihood of counterattack if he can just destroy creatures like set and baba yaga while ensuring his own survival and that of the human race he can recreate the world in his own image in his twisted delusions of power Vettel sees himself as the new cain of a new race of kindred and the god to a new human civilization now here's how pimp this is Here's a Methuselah that is pro-fucking-active, right? <laughs> He's got an agenda. He knew what he needed. He came up and took it. And this is why Nate said in the beginning, did the Camarilla manipulate Vitell to step forward? Or did Vitell tap him on the shoulder and goes, I'm going over here and make it happen? Right. that's the question and why do we got to put it that way because he's fucking powerful he openly carte bunch goes yeah 
I'm aware of Baba Yaga. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's not forget, I'm aware sets around. Right. In other words, I acknowledge antediluvians do exist yeah. because I come from where they were. Right. And because of that, um, I've right. decided the world is now powerful enough, thank you mortals, to give me what I need to end all of them. Right. It's, it, is, uh, it, it is an exciting character to look at and also like a, a holy shit pill. We will forget... We'll rehash it later on in novels, and we'll skip over probably because of this podcast, but I can't let you... It's an epic battle to hear how they write in the novels to deal with Vettel. Because when Vettel gets found out, and he does get found out by the Camarilla, there are some oh shit buttons hit where everybody's like, wait a minute, he's a Lissambra? And it's on the hush. And these assholes give it to Theo Bell to handle. <laughs> they let Theophilus right. Bell, the Archon known Bruja, cool story, canon character, bouncing around... Handling Sabat with a boot knife and a, and a Harley, right? And, and don't forget his trusty shotgun right. and occasional stop sign. He's doing what he has to do. Bell has to sit here and look at these people, and he goes, let me get this straight. I've been called in to look at the Baltimore siege, mm-hmm. and you're a sieging. And right. here's this crazy Archon with two swords in his back that's in this room. And by the way, this Archon hates your Malkavian giddy-up prince. <laughs> so much so that the Sabbat wait for those two psychopaths to start dueling in the middle of Elysium to launch the raid on Elysium. Right. Right? That's the aftermath. Bell just took one look at the room and left, and he goes to DC. And when he gets there, it's to oversee the plan. And the plan is, it's been years since I've read the novel, but we'll go with my memory. And because I remember it's great. So... Yeah, you'll correct us, listeners, I'm sure. Of course. Yep. Yeah. It's worth the read, though, because what they do is, Vitell is literally in this warehouse, and he's called to a meeting. And when everybody gets there, it's like it's like a giant surprise party that everybody thinks he doesn't know about. Right. Because Vitell walks into this warehouse, and he's standing there, and the way they read about it, he just explodes. <laughs> it's like he walked in, and all the enemies are on He's like, okay, we got him trapped. And then I love Bell's responses. He's like, he's not fucking trapped. They're like, what? Because all hell breaks loose. It all goes night. Shadows are everywhere. Flames, flamethrowers are tried. People are dying. Cars are getting hurled. And you know what Marcus Vettel did? Walked away. <laughs> he was like, well, I guess I'm not a prince now. And he right. walked away. Right. He was like, bye-bye. And then they're all like burning shit going, and people are like, no, we killed him. No, we killed him. And it's like, clearly in this, no, you didn't kill him. Right. But he's gone now. So we'll just write him off the stage. Yeah. I mean, basically what what they establish here is that um, uh, definitely if you're going to run a game in D.C., one, your characters are from D.C. Because what D.C. doesn't have is visitors. They do not have fucking tourist vampires. And if ever you were going to play a strict Camarilla court with the, uh, you know, omnipotent, powerful prince, this is the one to do it in. They gave you a guy that's a fucking badass that is uh, unstoppable, but has weird, dark secrets in the background. I mean, he's a total package. He has everything you need. He's he's the ultimate prince. He's the ultimate archbishop. Um, He could be run for a cam or sabbat game. You can easily make DC a sabbat game. And just, they have to play hush-mush, right? Right. They just can't reveal themselves. But you could still run a cool game with political-minded spot pack that's trying to get stuff done. Or how cool would it be if, in the course of your game, well, you know, Marcus Vettel, we've decided you are now Justicar. (laughs) It can happen, you know? Take his power to to another level. Would that help? Would that hurt? It's your game. Anyways, what they say in here is, the characters that are in here, plenty of them could be transplanted to a different game. You want to put them in your city? Awesome. Definitely do that. Now, here's what they don't do in the back of this book, which I love. Thank you for not doing this. They don't give you a module. Right. They give you some, you know, some very basic concepts that, you know, might be some story hooks, some dangers in the city. But the last chapter is a very sort of laissez-faire, like, hey, here's some tips and tricks and hints and how you can use this city, but we're not going to write you a walkthrough. And, you know, I I appreciate that there are people out there that write those, that work those out. I don't like them. Here's why you don't need it. At this point, it definitely seems that what Wolf realizes is that they're just wasting money putting those in the book because your imagination by now 
they wrote you scenarios. The right. vampires' backgrounds in these books directly tie into the city they're in. The city has a history. The vampires have a history. You should be thinking of tons of stories and interconnectivity that you could run a solid DC game and take them for yourself. Right. Make your own story. Easily done. And that's what I applaud the book for. It's short and sweet. Well, I won't say short, but it's sweet. Yeah. It's packed with historical detail, especially if you like the Civil War. I live down south, so absolutely. There were, I mean, I went through the scholastic system, we should say, down south. And uh, it's chock-filled with Civil War tidbits, facts, reenactments. Yeah. And it's a cool city for that alone. But uh, do not forget that uh, it's also the only city where, where you get to watch two crazy events. One, because um, we mentioned them already, you have... Um, Pendragon. Right. The Bruja Pendragon, who's battling the Sabbat, is, is warring crazy style, but what war does he come from? Uh, the Revolutionary War. There you go. He's still alive. There's people who still remember that hate, is my point, which is why it makes it unique. He also has influence going on towards Baltimore, right. where he's friends with the crazy Civil War still alive prince. Right. That they have in there too. What that highlights is that vampires live through eras and are colored by those eras they come right. from. They don't let stuff go. Right. You know, and so it's important to note that when you go through books like this and you see what goes on, um, I, I, actually, what hammers that point clearly is Vitell. Right. What other crazy entities that exist in a world of darkness are, have game ending agendas? <laughs> well, it seems like a lot of them. Every Methuselah ever made right and every single scary freakish antediluvian you know it gets to the point where you live long enough you know a thousand years two thousand years and you start to have these like delusions of grandeur but it, it comes a point where like are they delusional or are you just grand i know we wanted to form vital and say this is a crazy character right oh I no mean, it, it is why why would you make it in here but i'm like sitting here going is it yeah it, it is a crazy character but also it's it's a fifth generation methuselah Who's existed on a timeline so long right. that, that he will end his own immortality and, the way he wants right. to. Right, and it, it it is apparent to me that when you're that old and that powerful, you, you, you're you done playing a game. You walk in and you take the game. And that's why I love it. When I read the novel, it was like, wah, wah, I guess it's over. Yeah, yeah, well, we'll move on. We'll see what happens next. Now, we know it's probably some Gehenna plot written or the author didn't care. Right. Remember, it's a story written in a novel. But the fact is, I love the idea of that guy going, well, that plan was foiled. I'll have to play my long game then. Right. And what the hell is his long game? Right. Who knows? Well, and, and I think one one good thing to do, one good thing to keep in mind when you're running this game out of Washington, D.C., Marcus Vettel is a Ventru. Marcus Vettel is a Ventru, but there's something off. Something just a little bit off. And you'll never find out. Right. Unless you, the storyteller, decide it's time. And even how he gets found out is like it took an author to write it. I mean, Steph, because <laughs> right. it wasn't going to be any player. It wasn't right. going to be any ST grand idea. Right. I mean, that dude had to literally risk something to cause something to happen to be revealed of what he is. Right. And despite that, Marcus is great. I want to point out Peter Dorfman. That is your most likely candidate that if you choose to replace Vitell, will take Princeton. When you do this, be on your Tremere game. Oh, yeah. When you play DC be on your Tremere game. You should not think that a Pontifex is going to spend time with your players, teaching them rituals and thaumaturgy. That is a regent. Right. He has a couple. He is a visiting regent learning how to lead. Ain't him. And why I have to say that is because sometimes you grab a book and you read that, oh, yeah, this dude's, this dude's, you might do this. This guy's a Pontifex. He'll just be the regent. Save me trouble of making one. No, make one. Make a couple. <laughs> right. Because that should be that much more eye-opening to your Tremere players right. that they are watched. There's a lockstep smooth process to how that's going to be ran. Yeah, it's not it's not small town Tremere behavior. You you are at the heart of power. And that goes for really for any of those clans. I mean, you can you can jerk around with some Bruja. That's totally fine. <laughs> Nosferatu we have a heyday along with the Mounts, right? Right. right. No, absolutely. So, anyways, uh, wrapping it up. Um, should you should you Bob go out and buy DC by night. You absolutely should. This is a hallmark of what we play in Old World of Darkness. And that V20 has its updates and it says and all that. But you need to make it your own story. Because if you're running a campaign, even V20 updated, you need to make sure you make a decision about what happens in this chronicle. Right. You can ignore DC. You can ignore Chicago and say they don't have necessarily an impact on where your tale is unless you are in those cities. DC affects worldwide. 
Yeah, absolutely. So you need to know how he either reveals or doesn't reveal. Right. And, and also, I, I feel like um, this is a this. I think that this can be used as a much better, more like standard, legitimate Camarilla game than um, most of the other cities. Because most of the other cities at this time, there's either some sort of turmoil, or there's a, a young prince, or it's divided up by regions and it's war torn. You have a great point. I mean, if you want to talk about a place where Elysiums are ran and held, right. This is the place. Where it is a traditional Camarilla. It is the idea of Camarilla when you talk of it. I believe it's northwest Washington, and as the mortals are separated, that's where the better haves live from everybody else, right? And in that community, they understand prestation. Think of that. That in America, United States of America, there exists a place where, not only according to this book, by the way, we did due diligence online. It's, it's absolutely true. There are people who, it's nightly affair to go ahead and attend a night ball, right. a gala affair. Right. A gala, if you have to look it up, requires a, a bow tie and a proper suit. Right. Your lady has a gown, better be your wife, and you're going you're gonna to cut a rug and you're going to have a good time. Right. That's because during your power lunch, I've never had a power lunch. Have you had a power <laughs> no. lunch? I, okay. Sometimes I didn't have power when I had lunch. I've had a power bar for lunch, <laughs> but I haven't had a power lunch. But they have power lunches. And basically what a power lunch is, is that you sit down, you don't have a too large of a lunch meal, but it's called a power lunch because you're talking business while you're eating lunch. You're getting stuff done. And the people in D.C. that talk business affect the world. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so those are the near-do-wells. And then they get prestation. Right. And it goes hand in glove with how the, how the Camarilla one runs prestation, which is where I'm tying that right, into. Right, absolutely. I mean, I think um, I've I have suggested this to players in the past. Uh, I would say go watch House of Cards, and tell me that that isn't some some straight up vampire politics. Like to me, if you're gonna run a game in Washington D.C., watch the first season, watch the second season. I suggest you watch the whole show. Take that and introduce it into your game and have truly treacherous politics. This is the place to do it. So, yeah, definitely, you know, go, go you know, pick up a copy of the book. Um, it's worth it. And also, you know, for all the shit that I have to talk about, Marcus Vittel, he's a he's a linchpin character in this game. So I think it's important for everyone to, like, know that character and. And we haven't done the Lasombra Clan book yet. I'm I am chomping at the bit because it's one of my favorite. Uh, for the actually, I love all versions mm-hmm. of Lasombra Clan because I think they have valid viewpoints. But of Bob, aren't the aren't the Lasombra just like evil Ventrue? No, no <laughs> not at all. And that's a very novice point of view. <laughs> right. And uh, I need need you to understand something that that old adage: "Be careful when you stare into the darkness, stare into the abyss, because the abyss also stares back into you." That's Clan Lasombra. And if you know that, and you know that meaning, then you begin to understand why someone like Marcus Vittel would eventually one day say, then the sea's true power is to eliminate all those who will not get behind me. Right. And I already know my opponents and my peers have to go. I need to make example. And if a nuclear holocaust, I can survive and know they can't, I'll set example. Right. <laughs> and then from the ashes, I will grow the world appropriately. Right. Alrighty. Well, hey, thanks again for listening. Um, I just wanted to let everybody know, maybe even including Bob, um, the weekend of the 12th, we will have a, a vacation. Uh, we won't be putting out a podcast. I will be out of town, um, but we'll resume our regular schedule the week after. Um, so the week of Gen Con, are you, are you actually going to Gen Con? Because that might be important to I don't know. even know. It's like, yes, okay. no, for a night, maybe so, two. So I'll tell you what, if you, if you are planning to go to Gen Con, We'll we'll do like a, a gorilla podcast before you go. A gorilla, so, podcast. right? Like we'll we'll record on like a Wednesday or something like that. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm going out of town, small vacation just for the weekend. Um, but uh, so yeah, podcast next week. Week after that, there will be no new podcast. I will make sure everyone knows on Twitter, on Facebook. Um, but you know, for those of you that don't don't uh, dig on those, we're telling you now. Um, so, anyways. Um, thank you for listening and let's see what we're looking forward to next week. Yeah. We do some surfing here. Clan book Shamase. Zemis. <laughs> Zimski. Fuck yes, it's on. Yeah. It is on like Donkey Kong. Yeah, so be prepared for that. 
week uh, week after that. So we have three clan books coming up. Shamase, Sedites, Asimites. Oh, just Nate going to be gone from them podcasts, folks. <laughs> I know that shit in my goddamn sleep. <laughs> Well, anyways, thank you for listening. Uh, We are glad to provide you with quality entertainment if you find it so. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. (laughs) 